0: Will you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts together be acceptable in your sight. Through Christ Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, the preacher was in jail overnight. What do we do now? We're, we're used to it here. Jerry's off to prison all the time. Uh, albeit for other reasons than Peter and John. But as we've continued this story, this remarkable story that takes up the third and fourth chapter of Acts, they healed a man who had been laying there. They pronounced the name of Jesus to him, and they told him, get up and walk, and he was healed by the power of God. And attracted a crowd, and they began to bear witness to the crowd. It was God who did this. And it was God, the same God, who raised Jesus from the dead. And by the power of his name, this man has been healed. So then the authorities came. Many of them were uh, of the the Sadducees sect who don't believe that that resurrection ever occurs at all. They don't believe in a resurrection from the dead. And they commanded them stop preaching this message here in the temple. And if you don't, as you remember last week, they were warned that they were going to be thrown in jail again. Now, after they were released, as the story continues, as Benita read to us, after they were released, they returned to the collection of believers, some of who had witnessed the Pentecost event, in which the Spirit was poured out on all of God's people, well, on all the apostles, And in a few weeks, we're gonna be celebrating Pentecost again. And, And there's an interesting detail in the story that Luke tells, that it says a tongue of fire was distributed to every one of the apostles, so that they began to be able to preach in other languages. Now, I've been in sanctuary after sanctuary after sanctuary, and when you come to the Pentecost window that depicts the Pentecost event, You see this depiction of these 11 or 12 apostles, and it all looks like their heads are bursting into flames as a tongue of fire is distributed to each of them. What we don't know is that the phrase, a tongue of fire, was a common phrase used to speak about prophets. That when the Spirit of God had come over somebody, they were given a tongue of fire. And that whole Pentecost story starts to make sense when you think of it that way. There was the sound of a rush like a mighty wind. The place in which they were sitting was shaken, and they began to speak as each one was given a tongue of fire in different languages, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, proselyte Jews from all over the world had come to the temple, and they began to hear the gospel of Jesus proclaimed in their own language. Now, whether the apostles had suddenly learned a new language or God had unmuddied the ears of those who were listening, you'll have to decide. But they had a tongue of fire, and they were preaching with boldness and conviction. And so the apostles began to do signs and wonders, and they attracted crowds. 3,000 people on the first day Another 5,000 people after this healing, all of these people had come to be a part of the Christian community to witness the mighty deeds being done by the apostles and to hear the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then this healing took place. And then they threw them in jail. And then they let them out with a very stern warning. I'll never do this again. Now, I don't know about you, but my first prayer after being warned like that would be God protect me, God help me, God save me, God prevent me, keep me out of jail, don't let any harm come to me. But the response of the people who heard Peter and John that day was remarkable indeed. They did the most unmethodist of things in our generation. Instead of calling a charge conference or having an ad council meeting to discuss the the growing threat to the church and arguing well into the night, they got up from the ad council meeting and they came here to the sanctuary. For the whole passage that follows is nothing but a prayer from the people of God. And it's an instruction for all of us on how we ought to pray. Did you catch the overlap between the reading that Benita gave us and the psalm that we read together? For what they began to pray was Psalm 2. They began to say, holy and sovereign God. It was right that David wrote years ago in the psalms, why do the nations conspire in vain? And the leaders of the world plot in vain against you. Psalm 2 talks about all of the other rulers, all of the other nation states, all of the people conspiring against Israel. And by the time you get to the end of the second psalm, the psalmist has said, God's sitting in heaven laughing at these kings, these, these puppet leaders, these wannabes, God is laughing in heaven. He will break their power, just like he will break the power of Caesar, just like he will break the power of any tyrant who subjugates his people. God has immense power. God sees the comings and the goings of human beings. The, the second psalm ends with a triumphant shout, happy are those who take their refuge in the Lord." So when the people of God came together to pray about the threats that were around them, the first place they turned was to that page in their hymnal where God laughs at the threats of those who threaten God's people and remind themselves that happy are those who take refuge in the Lord. Are you with me on this? Because the second thing they do is they, they bounce out of the power of the scriptures and they contextualize it. It is just like it was in the old days, in our days. For in our days... Caiaphas and Pilate and all the other rulers in Jerusalem conspired against your son Jesus. And they put him to death and they laid him in a tomb, but you, O God, have raised him up in power. Friends, I can't say this strongly enough. When your life is up against it, the first place to turn is into the scriptures, to find there not a comforting verse for your particular Circumstance, but a reminder of the immense power of God and the sovereignty of God over all things. God is the one who holds power in his right hand. The dunamis about which we're preaching and celebrating belongs to God. Power is God's business. When we call Jesus Lord, it's a statement about power and who has power over the world in which we live and over our own lives. Dunamis. Power, ability, strength. It belongs to God. It's in the right hand of God. And we turn to the scriptures to remind us just who's running this show. And even though it may take God a while to work all things out, God is the one who is sovereign. Turn to the scriptures when your life is up against it. And find there the example of God's power and then translate it over to the corollary in our day interpret it apply it see how it's the same in our time Caesar flexes his muscle and wants to make us afraid I read something horrific the other day and then I tried it out and it was true the word evangelical which used to mean one who tells the good news If you go onto Google right now and you type the word evangelical, in the first three answers you get will be the word Trump. What has happened to the church? I don't care what your political leanings are. I have never belonged to any public party. Any political party. I don't care what your political leanings are, but if you type the word evangelical and the name Jesus Christ doesn't come up, then the church has not been doing its job. Let me say that again. If we type the word evangelical, the teller of the good news, and the name Jesus Christ doesn't come up first, we have lost our way, my friends. We are tellers of the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is what the prayer meeting that they had after Peter and John told them that they could be going to jail. They they looked at the scriptures. They reminded themselves that the circumstances in which they find themselves today were not outside the bounds of God's power, but smack dab square right within the bounds of God's power. And then they made their request to God. So let's see it again. You praise God, you seek the word, you apply the word, then you make your request to God. How many times have our prayers been just backwards? Oh, Lord, I need this, and oh, Lord, I need that, and oh, Lord, I need the other, and oh, Lord, help me, help me, help me. But we never take the time to exalt the name of God. These people have shown us how to pray. So they said, and so, oh, God, what we need now is courage, bravery. We want you to help us speak the word of God with boldness while you continue to heal and do mighty acts in the name of Jesus, in the powerful name of Jesus. Did you catch it? You read right past it sometimes. This clear statement that healing and deeds of power and deeds of might and deeds of remarkable circumstance, that's God's business, that's God's job. God does the healing. (laughs) I have had the privilege of mentoring some pastors from time to time. And we always come up on the issue of hospital visits and what do you do? Somebody there in the hospital, they want you to pray for them. And and, and believe it or not, after going through seminary and a lot of other things, a lot of pastors struggle. They struggle with praying with people in their hospital rooms. Do you know why? Because they're afraid that if they ask God to heal somebody, it won't happen. And so we have a conversation. It's a conversation I can only have because I was there once. I walked into a hospital room and I'm thinking, oh dear God, what do I say? I'm a brand new pastor. Dear God, what do I say? And then we sat and we talked for three or four or five minutes and I stayed much longer than I probably should have for somebody who's in the hospital and needs their rest. And I stayed there and hemmed and hawed, and you know what I was trying to do? I was trying to avoid (laughs) praying. Because as I came out of seminary, I thought that whatever happened next after I prayed was going to be a reflection on me. You with me? You've been there too. You make a promise, you, you tell somebody it's gonna be okay, you, 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 you say the Lord's gonna take care of it and then nothing happens and they come to you and say, what's with, what's with your God? I'm gonna tell you what to say if they ever ask you that. What's with your God? I don't know, maybe you should ask God instead of asking me to be the intermediary. In fact, here, Fred, this is God. God, this is Fred. You guys have a lot of things to talk about, so I'm gonna get out of the way and you guys work it out. That's the beginning of faith. We are all caught up in this idea that we have to somehow do powerful things, mighty things, fill sanctuaries, do all kinds of incredible works, do all kinds of healing ministries or justice ministries that God has gone on vacation in the Mediterranean somewhere and left us to do all the work. But what these people in the fourth chapter of Acts have reminded us is the power of God belongs to God. And God is the one who does these powerful works. Our job, our one job, our solitary job is to declare the works of God to the world. That is, when God's hand moves powerfully, we are the ones who are meant to stand up and say, that was God. All this other stuff, it's just stuff, but that was God. The same God who had the power to raise Jesus from the grave. And so they prayed. They prayed. They prayed a prayer of praise to God. They prayed a prayer that included Scripture. They interpreted the Scriptures, and then they humbly asked that God would make them bold to preach the Word of God to declare his mighty deeds. And then, and then, God answered. The place in which they were staying was shaken. And it said they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now I have to say something. When John Wesley had started the Methodist movement, he would often be asked, what do you mean by scriptural holiness? Because Wesley had said, I want to spread scriptural holiness throughout the land. I want to see the world covered with people living out scriptural holiness. And people said, what did you mean by that? What he meant by that was not the ability to quote chapter and verse from the Bible. What he said was, I want to see the kind of holiness in my church in this generation that I see in the scriptures among the believers in the early church. That would be scriptural holiness. Not holiness that can quote the scriptures, but holiness that lives like the people in the scriptures lived. Did that make sense? Because chapter 4, verse 31 was one of the verses that Wesley most often quoted as an illustration of what he was talking about. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. See, the way Luke tells the story on Pentecost, it was just the 12 that were filled with the Holy Spirit. It was just the apostles who were doing the signs and the wonders, and everyone else came to sit at their feet and to, and to receive the ministry of the Spirit and, and to watch the apostles do their thing and, and to, to receive their teaching. But here in chapter 4, Like a ripple spreading out in a pond, it's no longer just the apostles who do the mighty, powerful deeds. It's the whole church. Right now, many of you have a song in your head, not the preacher, not the teacher, but it's me, oh Lord. Not standing in the need of prayer, but filled with the awesome power of God's Spirit. Quickened, energized, made powerful. So what's happening with our church? Why are we a church in our generation? And I'm not talking about Fumco only. But why are we a church that tends to say, well, Jesus did these things, but that was Jesus, and I can never be like that. When the apostles were given the ability and the to to preach with boldness and to to bear witness to the fact that, in fact, in their generation, just like with Jesus, they were now witnessing the, the mighty, powerful acts of God. And then the believers after that came to be filled with the power of the Spirit so that they could bear witness to a whole generation of the powerful, mighty acts of God. And down through history, time and again, we see suddenly for, for reasons, no one can explain the spirit move with a mighty whoosh, and a whole new generation begins to declare that the way we've been doing it is, 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 is a caricature of faith. And now we need to be filled with the spirit, and, and, and sometimes the preachers are the, the very last ones to get the message when that happens. Because it starts where you're sitting. It starts with a deep desire and a hunger and a thirst to know the Spirit of God so that they are all filled with the Holy Spirit. And friends, it is possible to resist the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Not literally, but spiritually, it is possible to stick our fingers right in our ears and say, nah, 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 when the God of Scriptures tries to speak to our hearts. We get really good at it. And one of the best deflectors of all is to say, well, I can never preach like the preacher or pray like the prayer minister or walk and talk like Jesus. And I want to tell you in the name of Jesus, yes, you can. Yes, you can. You will not do it on your own. You do it by opening yourself to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. There is a world right outside the walls of this church that is dying. They need someone to tell them good news. And we're it. But we need the power of the Spirit. God will perform the the great, mighty deeds of power and strength. But we need someone to connect what God is doing to the truth of the gospel. We need witnesses, powerful witnesses, people who will tell and declare the mighty acts of God. We need you. The world needs you. The ministry of the Spirit will begin to remind you that you are children of God. Paul said, for the witness bears... The Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit to remind me that we are children of God and heirs of the promises of Abraham. He's given us a spirit, and it's interesting, it's been a, uh, translated as spirit of adoption, but it's, it's, that's a bad word. Uh, the Germans have a better word, kindeshaft, uh, but it means childship. For God has given us through the spirit a spirit of childship, reminding us that we are children of God and heirs to the promises of Abraham. And that's the foundation of our boldness in Christ. So I'm going to give you a test to know whether you're a servant of God or a child of God. Are you ready? I call it the banister test. In God's house, a servant will spend all day polishing the banner Hoping to please God by the end of the day. In God's house, the children of God will sit on the banister and slide down to the bottom, laughing joyfully all the way. Do you come to God in worship every week like a servant, begging and groveling for the crumbs from God's table, hoping that He'll be pleased if you work a little harder or do a little more? Let God's power be unleashed in your life, let God do the work. You come here to be filled and to laugh and to play and to have joy like his children that you are. And when you see God's hand say, you know, moving, say, that's my dad. That's my Lord Jesus. That's the Spirit. I am a witness to these things. I have seen God move. Bear witness to all the things that you see, for you are children of God, children of the Heavenly Father. And we serve a king, who laid down his life for his sheep. So now that we serve him, can we do any more or less than to follow him in every way, laying down our lives so that the Spirit may fill us? Oh, church, let it be said in our generation what was said of the church in the first century, that they didn't sit back like spectators while someone did a remarkable thing. But they called out to God, prayed for boldness, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen.